This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. One of these days, I will master the ability to complete a sentence. Scott Owen. Right, what would I know? I'm just the weekend host around here. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. Well, it's been another massive week in Australian football, and sadly not for all that many positive reasons, but we'll try and get through it all on the Brisbane Football Review. Hello, everyone, as we are gearing up for the festive season here. It's James. I'm back in the usual studio after a month on the road, and it's good to be back, and, well, hopefully we're going to get somewhere close to a sense of normalcy this week. Scott, how are you going? Welcome back to sunny Queensland, James. Yes, it is uh, nice to see the weather topping 20 degrees, which is good. Uh, Adam, how are you going? I'm good. Uh, yeah, a bit bummed at the uh, transfer. We didn't get a transfer for you, so I guess we'll just have to have to plough on and uh, we'll see what happens in the summer. Or the, the, the window opens again soon, Adam. Don't give up. We've still got <laughs> options here. <laughs> yeah, but just remember, I'm, I'm failing my medical and probably several other things as well. <laughs> Don't tell everyone. We're trying to put you in the shop window here. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, I really should get an agent for this sort of stuff to uh, talk myself up. But yeah, it's good to be back. And well, look, we are the Brisbane Football Review and we will try and get on to uh, some football. But we do need to lead off with what was uh, the lead story over the weekend. And that was the Melbourne Derby uh, fiasco at Amy Park. I actually was in stadium for that because I had, I think it was about the second night off in a month. Uh, working on club nets for the World Cup. But um, yeah, it was, honest to God, one of the most surreal experiences I have had, not just at a sporting event, but in general. Um, you would all know what happened with the uh, pitch invasion at about 21 and a half, 22 minutes. And um, well, this is what it sounded like uh, on the Channel 10 broadcast with your commentator, Robbie Thompson, as he signed off. Welcome back to Amy Park, and I'm afraid to say welcome back for the final time this evening. Football, and so ironically, in the last few weeks has taken us to the dizziest of heights, and unfortunately this evening to the most crippling of lows. The match abandoned due to player safety. Tom Glover was struck by pitch invaders he has been taken to hospital now he was cut on the face the referee was also assaulted Alex King and as a result and perfectly understandably despite the fact that we were all so looking forward to a big match of football this evening I reiterate once again the actions of a few have cost us all very very dearly this evening and thanks to channel 10 for that audio but yeah it was you know it was an electric atmosphere it was a tense atmosphere for the first 20 minutes and even before kickoff as well um you could tell something was brewing and Look, I, I think overall we've got to say first and foremost that, you know, the morons from the Victory Active end that did decide it was a great idea to storm the pitch, 
I think we're all unanimous in saying that uh, they're going to get every punishment that they deserve and then some because you can understand voicing frustration, you can understand the protests that were taking place at other A-League matches this weekend um, uh, regarding the grand final decision. We did a whole show on that last weekend. We're not going to rehash that now. But the minute you turn it into a pitch invasion where footballers, referees, and even the camera op as well who got injured, that's where it crossed the line. And quite frankly, for... You know, we were wondering, you know, how would Australia football and the A-League manage to build off what was a massive World Cup for the game here? It took two weeks for the fans to uh, completely blow whatever positive momentum they had behind them, Scott. It did. It was watching... Well, I didn't see it live because I was driving home from Redcliffe for the A-League women's game up there. Good win for the which we'll talk about later on. But when I did get home, you just saw... The phone blowing up, and as I said, you were there, James, just sending through lots of photos and videos from the day. Just felt sick because everything that the A League has built for, tried to build for the last 20 years was to try and show that that is not what the A League in Australian football is about. It was one of the big criticisms of the old, the old National League is that scenes like that were not regular things, but they were shown as what happened in the old league, and it was something that the A League did a really good job of not of making sure it was not portrayed as the A-League and these knuckleheads in Melbourne in the span of a couple of minutes have destroyed that 20 years of work and now the A-League has got probably the this is probably the worst it's ever happened to the A-League, James, because the momentum that should have been being built has gone completely 180 degrees off of the World Cup and now we're talking about people throwing buckets at players and everything else. It's a, I just felt sick on Saturday night, to tell you the truth. Yeah, like, it was... It was really weird. So I saw Adam Peacock doing the uh, report for Code Sports afterwards, and he was talking about how there was a mother and child there who were, you know, visibly shaken from the thing, from the thing, um, like the pitch invasion. And I can and I can completely understand that. If you were like in that end of the ground, I was just uh, I was on the side that was away from the camera position down towards the victory supporters. I, well, the video we posted on our socials, um, the Raw Review at BNE Football and uh, Instagram, uh, Brisbane Football Review, like that that was from my seat. So that was the view I had for the incident. And the overarching feeling afterwards was not so much shaken like that family was, but a lot of the people who were walking out of the ground just were stunned and thought, how did this, how did it come to this? And it just, it shows that you know they keep saying they kept saying back in what 2015 when there was that uh, blow up with the active supporters and whatnot that passion is not a crime. In this case, it was throwing buckets is a crime. <laughs> yeah, and it was the channeling of said passion where they took it way too far. And you know, Adam, I, I, I quickly get your thoughts on this as well. I know you don't really want to linger on this too much, neither do I, but we do have to cover it. So just quickly, what do you have to add? Well, like I said, I'll refer to what I said, one of the things I said last on last week's show. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to it, uh, it's obviously it's obviously there. But I did say that you know, I was very, very concerned by OSM, Original Style Melbourne's post, that it felt like a terrorist manifesto almost, rather than sort of a, a sort of, I guess, a more mature way to deal with the situation and the way to sort of talk and all that. And sadly, even I never thought that it'd come to this, where basically, yeah, look, they, they can they can come out and say, oh, we didn't mean to happen, oh, there's no premeditation. Well, 
maybe the, the leadership didn't, but obviously certain people did take it on. Because this is what this is what's happened. There was no way this was quote spur of the moment. This was planned. It was meticulous. You don't bring balaclavas to a game in the middle of December unless you're unless you're actually you know planning to do something. So look, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna exaggerate and say, oh, the blood is on your hands, OSM, but certainly you bear the responsibility because of your immaturity in trying to stir up, you know, trying to whip up frenzy over a decision at the end of the day, you know, that you basically now have blown it for, for everyone else. So, you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. You know, I, I feel sorry for, you know, the many, many Melbourne Victory supporters that, you know, their club now is going to be, you know, greatly affected because of the decision of these 150 idiots um, and and yeah like I said it's it, like I said as Scott said 20 years I think this has set back the game yeah I think best yeah. case it's 10 one thing Adam said that I agree is there's a lot of really good Melbourne victory fans out there who are rightly shattered this week James and they're probably thinking we won't get to see our team play live for the rest of the year and we all understand why that needs to be the case and we'll well, when the sanctions are announced, we'll bring those here on the show. But I do have, do have some sympathy for the good, honest Melbourne Victory fans who were shocked and saddened by the scenes. But Adam mentioned maturity, and it's very telling that there's an A-League supporter club supporter group statement that came out yesterday featuring the other 11 clubs, and it had not, didn't have any Melbourne Victory presence on it whatsoever. And that was a very mature statement, James. They were asking for four things. I mean... A few of them, a few of them are things that are quite reasonable. Asking for in the future collaboration with the APL or some degree of discussion and dialogue in relation to big decisions. I think that's a that's a fair thing. An apology for the failure of disclosure of the grand final thing. I think that's fair. So some of the things that were disclosed yesterday in this statement that the the den also acknowledged as one of the other eleven, James, and also was quite sorry, and reasonable. Sorry, I just want and to jump in, gone Scott. Down this path a week ago. I wonder if we'd be in a very different spot. So I did just want to add in as well. It wasn't just the 11 active supporter groups for the men's as well, because uh, there were there were questions raised online about were the women's active groups uh, a part of that as well. They didn't want to have their logos attached to it because they had their own statement last week about it all, but they were consulted as a part of that as well. So it was more than just 11 supporter groups. It would have been, I suppose, in the end, 22. But anyway, so... I may, I may as well just like run you through my night uh, at Amy Park that was a bit shorter than I expected. But um, yeah, so I got I got to the ground about 7.30 local time, so 15 minutes before kickoff. Um, it was like... The one thing that I will say Fox got right with their theory behind the expansion in 2017-18-ish, that A-League needs more games with atmospheres like that where you had the two... Like, they had the derbies and everything, and this was the marquee matchup there. And look, Melbourne City, I'd say they would have been outnumbered maybe 5-1 to one in terms of active support, and you could tell, but they were, you know, making sure they added to the atmosphere as well, including some not-so-flattering things about the APL as well with the chance. But um, it was a really good atmosphere, and I, I will say from where I was sitting, I actually thought the up-until say the 19th minute, 20th minute, I actually thought the security and uh, ground staff at Amy Park handled that handled the situation superbly because it was a tense, highly charged atmosphere there between um, 
the supporter groups. There was a lot of frustration. There were a lot of flares, which, look, we've seen Safe Smoke work with the Raw games out at uh, Redcliffe. But, yeah, there were lighting flares every so often. Someone even in the victory, um, Active Bay, had mini firework launches, which, again, I can't really endorse. But overall, security, I thought, did handle it quite well to the point where they were saying, look, we know these guys are on edge. We know they're angry and just looking for an excuse for it to carry over. They, I thought, weren't over the top. The only times I really saw security pushing back was when a couple of the Victory fans either jumped on the railing on top of the fence at the front of their active bay, or a couple of people actually jumped over the fence. There were people that were jumping over, but were quick, like they were on their own and quickly escorted back through the gates. Then the uh, nineteen, then the clock ticked to nineteen, nineteen and a half minutes, and you could see like the Victory they'd uh, unfurled their banner on fifteen minutes. City Active had done it at eighteen minutes. Once we sort of got to 19 and a half, the Victory fans just started emptying out whatever flares they had left. They were launching them everywhere, and you could see the Channel 10 cameraman get hit. That is what set off Tom Glover. I saw him turn around to the Victory fans and basically just raise his arms going, seriously, guys? This is when the clock had ticked over to 20 minutes. The City active fans, true to their word, decided, like, okay, 20 minutes, this is when we're leaving. They started to file out. You could see the bays emptying. There was absolutely no movement from the victory actives. Nobody was making for the exits. Nobody uh, was following through on the plan to evacuate or walk out or whatever you want to call it. They were standing there. Then the flares started getting lobbed at Tom Glover. And look, you know, launching the first flare, he landed on the grassy part in between the advertising hoardings and the active support offence. The second one, he launched it over the crossbar and it landed uh, near the front of the Victory Active Bay, which then prompted the pitch invasion. Now, look, you can say Glover does bear a certain element of responsibility for maybe being a bit careless. If you're, if you're looking to defend him, that's probably the phrase I would say. He was careless, kind of like how the NRL grades their tackle uh, charges when someone's getting sent to the judiciary. I can't, I can't say what was going through Glover's mind there. Did he think, all right, I'm just going to loft it back at these guys because that's two they've thrown at me now. But, yeah, at that point, all hell broke loose and really there wasn't anything that could have been done. Um, Alex King, as has been mentioned several times before, deserves all sorts of credit for uh, getting in between Glover and the onrushing fans. But I will say as well, both teams just straight out came out to try and protect their players. I saw Nani, I saw several members of the uh, Victory Squad, both benches, trying to get their teammates off the field. And like that was one of those times where I, you could tell that the players were like, no, nah, let's not be stupid about this. Let's just get out of here, play it safe. In my mind, and this is purely an opinion, I don't think there was ever a walkout planned. I think that certain element of the Victory fans down the front that did storm the pitch... They, they were never going to walk out. That pitch invasion was absolutely planned in my mind. They were just looking for an excuse to kick it off. And in the end, Glover launching the flare back their way gave them exactly what they were looking for. So, yeah, that that's pretty much how it played out for me. Um, and it was honestly just... like So I was sending the videos through to you guys from the invasion. And I was just 
I was just shocked. Like I, ne- I never felt like I was in danger. I never felt like it was something that, you know, was going to put me or my safety at risk because of where I was sitting. I was far enough away. But the one thing that I think everyone can consider themselves very fortunate about is the people that did run onto the pitch, they stopped around about the 18-yard box, maybe 25 yards beyond the goal because they they absolutely could have, if they wanted to, made a beeline for the players' tunnel. They could have gone all the way down to the other end to try and get after the city active supporters, even though they would have had absolutely no reason to. But there was quite a bit of luck that maybe those that did storm the pitch and, you know, they should get the punishment they deserve, but it could have also been a lot worse. Scott? Yep. One question, James. What was it like after that? So obviously this madness happened and then probably all hell broke, as you said, and then the game got abandoned. What happened after that around the stadium in terms of an atmosphere and the way it was after? I imagine it must have been a real... A really surreal place to be. It was. So what happened uh, for me was because everyone was clearly going on their phones, got like trying to get messages out going, oh my God, are you watching this? I think I might have actually <laughs> sent you guys something to that exact effect because I couldn't get the photos and videos to upload. There was no phone signal whatsoever. It was kind of like a flashback to... Do you guys remember New Year's Eve in like 2008, 9, 10 when the mobile networks would get jammed at 12.01 and you couldn't send a text? Or like when you used to go to Suncorp Stadium and like anything over about 10,000 people, you had no phone signal for the game. It was one of those moments where there was just no way to get a message out. And, you know, I'm not not going to say this is the fault of anyone involved with the match organisation or anything, but nobody had any idea that the match had been postponed. So I think we all assumed that it was going to be, especially once word sort of filtered through from the few people who had um, access to the network. They came out and said, like, they were saying, oh, yeah, Glover's got a concussion, the referee's injured, the camera op uh, got burnt, etc." I think m- more than anything else, my pe- most people were just going, what the hell just happened? And that's kind of where I keep coming back to as well, where you're just sitting there looking at it going did I really just see like a pitch invasion? And it was just one of those things where everything just boiled over and it just absolutely, it, it absolutely went too far. And look, I'm not going to, you know, defend the OSM people that did storm the pitch. There is no defending what they did. But all I'm going to say is you know, the punishments need to fit the crime. And that's where I keep coming back to. And so anyway, what happened for me was, Sorry, a little bit all over the place because there is a lot to remember and quite a lot has happened since Saturday night as well, including a pretty damn awesome World Cup final, I have to say. But eventually, so I started messaging you and a couple of other people I knew saying, hey, um, what's, go- what's going on? Um, what's going on? Has the game been abandoned? Because there, no- like, there was nothing going up on the video boards. Um, after-, after the game, I was speaking to uh, someone I knew at uh, Melbourne City and he was... Like, he was down on the field and he was saying, like, someone threw a uh, Coke bottle at him and it was, yeah, just, it was chaotic, but it did die off very quickly because of what I was saying before about the people just getting themselves off off the pitch. But there was that second wave as well where, like, that was when the people started climbing on the goalposts and um, everything as well. And I have to admit, I did enjoy seeing, like, a couple of kids who probably would have been 15 at most 
getting like crash tackled by security in the goal mouth. But yeah, that. But yeah, it was just it was the communication that was the real drawback for me. Where it was like, I think everyone was just shocked and didn't really know how to proceed. But I think everyone everyone kind of knew the game wasn't going back ahead. Did because yeah, like I said, may as well. So I'll, I'll ask a question as well. Did um. How, how did we didn't see it obviously uh, with with obviously what was going on because obviously the focus was on the victory. How did the city supporters sort of react to that? Especially the, I suppose the the I guess the counterpart actives as well. Had they had they actually cleared out and left the stadium, or were they did they sort of go you know, turn around and go, oh my god, what's going on? Because obviously the other part of this is once I think football Australia deals with uh, Melbourne victory, there's got to be a question whether you know Melbourne City supporters as well are they going to get sanctioned obviously not as badly because they were let off just as many flares as what melbourne victory did yes they did um so what and this is my recollection is they had started clearing out so i'd say the bay was probably at most half empty they they were following through on what they said but look it, it was one of those things where even if you were walking out you had to stop and turn around because it was just completely like again, beyond belief that people would be so completely and utterly stupid. And that, and I think those, I wouldn't be surprised. Again, I can't speak for what was going on in the city active area, but I'm willing to bet that if someone, if like any of the victory fans had have really pushed themselves beyond say the halfway line, you could have had a proper like kick on where some of the uh, city fans maybe thought, Hmm, we need to get out there and defend our, uh, potentially defend our players as well because yeah there were a lot of the city fans I think were just like the rest of the team and as you mentioned like they were throwing flares onto the pitch as well I don't think any were actively aimed at Paul Izzo but there were some that definitely landed in his 18 yard box someone got like there were a couple of uh, pretty solid tosses after uh, the city goal um, and basically yeah from memory the uh, what was it? The I'm trying to remember it, but Izzo, like I think also because he already like he hadn't engaged in much of the dialogue, and I think that's probably the difference between the two things where he like Alex King had stopped the game to allow Izzo to clear the flares off, so he was able to pick them up, put them down, and everything, and yeah, thankfully Izzo kept the cool head there as well. But you're right, I think there does need to be a discussion about what sort of punishment will be coming the way of Melbourne City as well because I th- I think you know you can't just let them off the hook and say just because someone did something much worse than you like that you know I would liken it to going 80 in a 60 zone whereas the victory supporters were going at 160 no, no, and that's the point I was sort of trying to sort of I guess factor was in that you know just because you know Melbourne City did um, like I said just because Melbourne victory did what they did doesn't mean that that not that you know, Melbourne City got scot free. So yeah, we do need to move on, James, as you're yeah. alluding to, and we've got raw stall stuff to talk about. You mentioned the World Cup and the um, momentum lost. It's funny. Two weeks ago today, Adam and I were recapping the Socceroos' great run. We we're all basking in that glow, and I have to say, waking up on Sunday morning for that World Cup final, James, that's the football moment that I, I personally really needed to have to to really start to enjoy the sport again once because Saturday was so so disheartening the game on Sunday was such a such a great lift of, of everything after that and 
that's the World Cup final of our lifetimes, really. That's the game we'll all look back on as that's the best game at the World Cup we'll ever see. So congratulations to Argentina on that. I did want to just yeah. mention it briefly as a way to transition away from the madness on Saturday, but I think we all needed that on Sunday morning after what happened on Saturday. Yeah, completely agree with that. And um, the only point I will make as well is like, I understand it. Like Saturday would have been quite emotional for a lot of people. Like it would have been just an absolute kick in the guts to see the game devolve into that. However, I do want to, you know, push back a little bit against the hyperbole of saying, you know, the A-League's dead, football is lost to Australia and everything. It's like, for me, that is a complete load of crap. I think there is so, like, the A-League desperately needs a lot of work to get it back on track, but it is far from a dead product. Yeah. I, I just feel like there is so much, like, there is a lot of work that needs to be done, and the actions of Saturday night have made it significantly tougher for you know a lot of the people who are involved. And also, it's not just necessarily at A League level as well. This will trickle down into NPL as well because we do know those Victory fans who were involved with that had been uh, reportedly causing trouble at Victory NPL games as well. So this isn't something that is exclusive to the A-League. This goes down through Football Victoria, through like the other clubs as well. And yeah, it is something that a lot... What worries me, though, is the people who... It'll be nationwide, James. Yeah. Like Friday night, people going up to the game up at Morton Daly Stadium. I'm not saying there's going to be a real big crackdown from the authorities, but there will be a noticeable difference in the way things were done last game to this game coming up. It's just the way it's going to be for a while, so it's going to hit nationwide. It starts tonight for the derby, for the F3 derby. It's, it'll start tonight, and there's already signs, already reports out of out of uh, Gosford that, yeah, the police security presence has been increased. And you know what? No one at the moment can say, oh, that's a bad thing. It's a necessary thing because of, of what happened. I, I don't think any police force or any security company want to be caught with their pants down again after what happened Saturday night. So, that, that, so this is... I guess that's the uh, impact for the rest of the league. Is that now the stadium, all the stadiums that A League's played in for a little while, is going to feel like you know the, the security has really tightened. Yeah, and that is exactly why. Like, I can I can completely understand why in the moment a lot of people who were, who have been involved with the game, be it A League or NPL level, or whatever else, or juniors or whatever. I can understand why in the moment they just said, I can't do this anymore. But I can guarantee that over time, it will help sort itself out. But it do- it is going to take a lot longer than I think any of us would have hoped because of all that now. And it is going to be a much tougher process because the trust the trust has been broken. I just, like- I just want to add one more thing before we move on because I know we've got to move on. And that that's the whole thing is that, you know... At the end of the day, obviously, you know, what, what started all this was the decision on the decision about the grand final. What I think the game sorely needs first and foremost is leadership. Sadly, even in the aftermath of, the, of what happened on Saturday night, it took Danny Townsend two days. And on a friendly network being on 10, obviously rights holders to come out and actually make a firm statement. Even sort of like to use the word, oh, you know, because Football Australia are the regulator, therefore, you know, that 
James Johnson, you know, had to come out and say it first on Sunday. Like, at the end of the day, what the game is crying out for is leadership. And I don't, I don't see that with Danny Townsend at the moment. Great guy, got great ideas, but he is well and truly, you know, getting to the point now where you're thinking, wow, you know, this whole let's hide in the shadows and hope everything's okay, it, like I said, it needs to be better. Yeah, and also, I, I will just say, the, probably the, one of the few people that has come out of you know, the last five days or so looking good is James Johnson. He was clear, firm, and definitive in that press conference straight away. And also the uh, victory director, Carolyn... Carolyn Carnegie. Carnegie, yeah. Uh, when she did that press conference uh, Sunday morning as well. Like, But m- predominantly, like, I mean, yeah, those two, you know, well done for facing up straight away as well. And hopefully that is uh, a sign that you know, at least it, it can't get much worse. All right, Scott. Uh, and there's no reason Danny Townsend couldn't do a press conference Sunday morning either. Yeah. And that is, I think, something that is going to be uh, worked on going forward. All right. We've done, I think, over the last two weeks, about two hours of off football stuff. Let's talk about the games. Deal? Yeah. Because we're winners. Uh, yeah. Two 1 0 <laughs> wins for the Raw on the weekend. So that's. That's as good as you can hope for. We'll start off Friday night in uh, Newcastle, which was a 1-0 win for the men's side, courtesy of Nikola Milojuznic almost getting the best goal uh, for the Raw in recent memory, but still getting a pretty valuable winner for all three points. And uh, look, we won't we won't spend too long on this because it is Wednesday now and we... Uh, yeah, and that game was on Friday and it wasn't necessarily the most enlightening of games. But Scott... How important was getting all three points? The points are the most important that came out of it, James. I'll talk about the result first and performance afterwards. The result is exactly what the Raw needed. It's another three points. I think they moved into the top four, actually. Briefly. On Friday. I'm not sure. I haven't seen the table since, so I don't know how seventh. far they've dropped. Are they back down to seventh? Okay, so they it just does show that they are in and around, points-wise at least, a top four position as things currently stand. So the, the start to the year in terms of points has been quite good. They've only lost the one game from their first seven, so they are picking up points consistently. That's really good. The performances are a little bit concerning for me, James, because they're not creating enough going forward for me that says they're going to be able to consistently create enough chances to win enough games against the top sides in in the competition. So I'm looking forward to, hopefully, at the weekend, more chances being created. I think, to me, I think they just need an extra... Some more, just one more creative link in the side, James, because I think they've got players that can score. I just don't know if they have enough to get the ball in the areas to help them do it. Like, see Mili Uznic, his goal on the weekend, we were always joking, runs really fast, but he did get into some decent areas. And if he did scored the overhead, it would have been spectacular and all the rest of it, but he got himself into some really good areas. It's just, they're not finding them enough. So I think it's more of a creative issue in the front third as opposed to a goal-scoring issue at the moment. I think for me, what I've noticed with the Raw, especially this season, is they are, they are so focused on being defensively resolute, it is leaving them a little bit short in attack. And look, it it's paying dividends at one end of the pitch where you've got, I think it might be the best defensive record in the league, or if not the second best. Uh, I think it's like seven goals uh, conceded or something so far, and half of those were probably to Melbourne City. But defensively, they are quite strong but you're right they I think we do want to see them maybe just take a few more chances in attack play with a little bit more pace and urgency and just see what they can fashion and 
look, there has been a fairly sizable change uh, to the playing squad as well over the last week that we will get into a little bit later on. But, you know, maybe that might open up a few uh, chances as well because they do have the pace, they do have the creativity, they've got guys like Milioznic, Henry Hoare and uh, whatnot in the squad who can come out and create chances. And, yeah, I think there is going to be quite a, a bit to look forward to going forward, Adam. Uh, yeah, just just on that uh, point about the raw uh, best best atta- uh, best defence in the league with uh, five goals conceded from seven games, but equal worst attack with yeah. with six goals tied with uh, Perth Glory. Obviously, they're one game behind uh, most clubs, but yeah, that's a, sort of the fact of the moment. As far as the game itself goes, uh, yeah, it. Like I said, I think that also as well, they kept themselves fairly sort of, you know, fortunate. I, I thought that, you know, Newcastle blew an absolute golden chance to go forward after that three meds uh, with um, Angus Thurgate, yeah, him, the crossbar from near point blank range. Uh, the defence sort of, you know, went to sleep there. And also at the back end of the game, uh, where Brendan O'Neill's uh, free kick was uh, was saved beautifully by um, Jordan Holmes on the post as well. So... I think they were very fortunate, but most mostly as well. I think Miluznich's goal. I think, as, as you said, very it was a spectacular play. But I think as well, you got to give him credit for the presence of mind, as well. After you know Duncan made that save, which I don't think he knew much about, the presence of mind then to sort of you know shift foot and shoot off the ground and put it in. I thought that's a very very good play by Miluznich. So. I actually, I wouldn't be surprised now with Charlie Austin departing that maybe the experiment might be more, more usage at the number nine because he actually did look all right. Um, obviously, with Dan Zaki was the one that sort of headed across to give him the opportunity, um, give him the opportunity to score that um, overhead kick. So maybe there's a sort of already a a window of what Warren Moon is thinking going forward. Yeah, just puts a point on balance as well, James. I mean, they had the back three slash five. Those that had Kai Turin, I know he was playing a midfield role, but he's a very much a defensive-minded midfielder, James. That's six players whose jobs are primarily defensive. Yes, you can argue Hingit and Armiento do get fought a lot, and certainly Carlo Armiento is one of the rules better attacking outlets on the night, but it's just that balance, isn't it? Have the, is it the right the right balance to to give them enough bodies and creativity in the front third to get over the line? I just wonder. I just, I'll talk about the player who's left in a minute. I've got some ideas on what they could do to to potentially fill some holes in the squad in January, probably more for next week's show than this week's show. But I think they do need to look at the balance, maybe. Just is it 100% right? Yeah. And the point I would just go back to as well with the balance, where, look, I in the interest of consistency, if they keep going with this run of results, you know, not, not many goals, but they're uh, eking out wins and draws, I, I, I am going to have to temper a lot of my criticism because, yeah, it might not be the best brand of football but how many times have I said on this show it's a results driven business first and foremost and if if they're winning 1-0 it's still three points and that's the one thing that you know, football fans across the country especially at the Raw you know, have to learn is that sometimes you know, league football it's a dirty business and the results come first or come more than anything more, more than anything else, because at the moment, um, it, like I said, it's very, very easy to point that you know Raw two wins from seven games, but they're also unbeaten. They've, 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 they're six out of seven unbeaten. So well, you've got yeah, like I said, it's a half glass full versus half glass empty, and I think yeah, you know, it needs to be sort of said that you know I think the Raw are going probably 
yeah, a little bit better than what we would have thought. Um, they won loss this season, and that loss being to the undisputed number one team in the league at the moment, being Melbourne City. Well, this to me is one thing that I keep coming back to, where you look at the criticisms of you know this style of play for the Raw, even dating back to Moon's predecessor as well, where they weren't really playing you know open and expansive football either. But this just reminds me of how spoiled we got by those Postacoglu-led teams, where that made a lot of people, especially the ones who came into you know supporting the Raw and the A League in that time, they made it not only look good, but they made it look so easy week in, week out, just moving the ball around. And I think sometimes we don't appreciate just how damn good those sides were in the early part of the 2010s. And it's not like you can just copy-paste that formula and make it, you know, transferable regardless of which players are wearing the raw shirt week in, week out. Thousand percent agree. It's more than that, James. It's more than that because you think back even before that, Frank Freena's side was very attacking. Miriam Blyberg's side was very attacking. You would argue they were too attacking and left themselves too open at the back. So a little bit too naive in terms of pushing players forward. But for a decade plus, so the first decade of the Raw was pretty much all attack-minded football. So I do think the Raw fans have been a little bit spoiled by that. And you can include Mulvey in that as well, really. So it's really almost like 10, 12 years of that. So it's a bit of an adjustment period as well because you're right, the last couple of years, it hasn't necessarily been the most free-flowing but to Adam's point, it is a results-driven business, and it is delivering results. Yeah, and I think it's. I think look, we can all agree we would love to see them playing, you know, five, three, four, two games week in, week out. But like, only if you win. Yeah, yeah. exactly. If you don't win, you just get annoyed by it. Yeah, you know, and, you know, and, the, and the coach is getting sacked. It's getting sacked. If you're getting, if you're getting beat, you know, five, three, you know, those sort of results, you, you can. You know, you can always say, "Oh, yeah, we scored you know, three goals." Yeah, but the opposition scored five. And that's yeah. a, that's a surefire way to get things slip as a, a coach. So, look, you know, at the end of the day, uh, where the Raw sitting at the moment, like when we say that they're sitting in seventh, uh, team uh, teams, uh, yeah, six six through to nine are all equal on ten. Raw Raw win on Friday night; they're up to third. But they are playing. Yeah. The second, they have a game in hand as well. Yeah, yeah. they are playing yeah. second place Western Sydney Wanderers, mind you. So. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about the preview shortly. Um, and the one point as well I do want to finish off on, uh, just for our match recap, the Jordan Holmes save at, like late on in the game, that was absolutely phenomenal. And I hope it's not something that gets lost in all the other stuff that's been going on lately. But I feel like there is every chance that in two, three months, you know, when we're still sitting here talking about the way the raw season is going... I'm really hoping we're coming back saying that save to preserve two points away to Newcastle might not have looked like much there, but if they go on a run from here and look, it's anyone's guess if they will, but if they do, that is that combined with the O'Shea penalty against Adelaide, I think we can look back on that and say, well, those are two huge moments that uh, pointed them in the right direction. And it was something we would have been all really concerned about heading into uh, the World Cup break. That's two points he saved for the Raw right there with that. It was a wonderful save there to get his fingertips on that to keep it out. And you're right, that if he, that's a big check mark for Jordan Holmes because he did, he Warren did leave Macklin freak in last week in the first game back, didn't he? Le- he left yeah. Macklin in, he put Jordan on the on the bench, but he went back to Jordan this week at week. And in in fairness, Jordan Holmes paid that back. He absolutely won the game for the Raw there with that save because if that's a, if that's a one all draw, James. 
we're talking very, very differently, I think, in terms of our outlook on the way that game is played. And also, and also as well, I'd say that you know, if he didn't get that hand on it, I'd say, I'd say that you know what, it was very, very well drawn up by Newcastle, and they would have been been good for a point. So the fact is, is that yeah, it wasn't a case of Newcastle blew the opportunity. It was Jordan Holmes. You know, that that's a that's a two point save. It is, and uh, yeah. So uh, now we will wrap up our men's recap with the three two ones, and uh, there is a little note I'm seeing here. Uh, since you're finally back, you can do the three two ones. You selfish son of a. That's not nice, Scott. You weren't meant to read the note out, but I stand by every word of it. <laughs> All right. Um, so my three points, Carlo Armiento, I think he continues to be a very dynamic uh, presence down that uh, left wing. Two points, Jordan Holmes. Uh, he would have, I think he had one point until that save at the end and one point for the captain, Tom Aldred. All right. Now, uh, Saturday, there were other games played than the one I was at in Melbourne and you two were at... Uh, Redcliffe, AJ Kelly Park. We just want to make clear it is AJ Kelly Park, not AJ uh, Price Reserve or whatever it was called. Um, where the Raw came away with a 1 0 win over Western Sydney Wanderers, courtesy of a Holly Palmer goal. So, Adam, we'll go to you first. Uh, what were your main takeaways from the match? Well, first of all, we sure it was Holly Palmer, according to the, uh, the coverage. Yes. Well, there was also a. a Tweet I know, I know, from... I know. We we love we love Minnie more than anyone, but bloody hell, you know, you'd... Holly Palmer, Katrina Gorry, they look very very different. How on earth they got that that wrong? But anyway, uh, I I digress a bit. But uh, yeah, look, uh, look, it was a very very professional performance by the uh, by the uh, Royal Women's Team. I think it's a win that they desperately need just to right the ship. Two tough losses uh, on the road, so they they've they've now. Uh, so they've now got uh, seven out of nine at home, which is, I think is very important. But uh, look, I think the for, for mine it begins and ends with the milestone player in uh, Captain Ishinori. I thought she was absolutely superb. Uh, the way she marshaled that midfield, um, a very, it was a very, very it was a very, very sort of relaxed day. I think for the defenders. Normally they're under fire with a couple of moments, a couple of moments, but. Look, uh, Isha had an absolute barnstorm for a 50, 50th uh, performance, uh, 50th match. And I will say as well, Isha Nori, it feels like in the last couple of years, winning the Premiership with Gold Coast United, uh, being announced as the captain of the Raw, moving to Lions, she has taken her game to a whole other level in the last couple of years. And I, I, th- I think that really deserves uh, plenty of plaudits as well. And you saw her influence in full effect in this game. Absolutely. We'll hear from Gareth first in the minute because we spoke to him after the game. He had some very, very nice words about Ishinori as well and her performance. But some other players played really well, James. I thought Katrina Gore in the midfield with Zara Kruger and Ishinori, it just freed up those other players to be able to do what they do best. I think Gore's presence allowed Nori to do what she did. Holly Palmer played out on the left-hand side in a more attacking role and looked quite good, obviously, to got forward and scored that goal. But in particular, James, the two fullbacks to me, had really good games for two inexperienced players. Tamar Levin playing on the right-hand side did an outstanding job. And Tegan Thompson, who made her debut on the left, was also very, very good. So there were some really good performances in there for the Raw. In there as well as the obvious ones you expect to see players like Norrie playing well, Gorry playing well. But it's the players around them who played quite well on the weekend and they, they helped them get over the line. In what Against what was a decent Western Sydney side, had a couple of chances, but for the most part the Raw had them under control. 
Yeah, and it, I think that shows like those two midfielders, especially um, Nori and Gori, it's their ability to elevate the players around them as well and just help guide you know the inexperienced ones through. You know, Tegan Thompson making a debut, fantastic season at Lions. Um, did you know her brother Andy plays for Lions, by the way? I don't know if that's been brought up on any of the NPL broadcasts. Of course he does. Andy's one of our favourites. I know, I'm just... Um, <laughs> Andy Thompson, not sure who that is, sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think that would be a very interesting uh, family Christmas coming up with uh, Tegan coming up and saying, so have you, you played uh, in the A-League? No? Okay, well, I have. Or, or would that only be something I would do to my siblings? It's probably... Yeah, I, I'd imagine that. Uh, I'd imagine Tegan's a lot more humble than that. Uh, but yeah, I, I will, I will, I I will interject and say that you know what what we did see actually that she, that she did look she did actually look very very comfortable um, as as a left back in the A League. I think um, I, I know it's been a while since she signed to actually get on the pitch and get that first cap. But uh, look, I thought she was very very good. She she didn't seem to you know be out of place in that. So I. I hope that you know this is certainly not the last. Even when this uh, this supposed injury replacement contract comes up until if Karima comes back, um, I, I certainly hope if it's not going for the raw, uh, I think you know some other you know A League women's clubs might be worth having a look at it because, like I said, you know fullbacks are a very very hard um, position to, to get right as we've seen with the raw, and I look. She looks comfortable. I, I think yeah, she's certainly she's certainly worth more than you know just a couple of a handful of games. Yep, for sure, and that is, um, yeah, a really good sign as well. Now, uh, before we get into anything else, you did mention Gareth McPherson had uh, some compliments for uh, Ishnori, and uh, you guys did the press conference with him after the win, so let's hear what he had to say. Gareth, three points, the early goal. Clancy, you must be very, very happy to coach all, every box ticked. Yeah, it was nice to uh, bounce back after the last two weeks on the road. They've been, um, yeah, they've been a... a good two weeks for us to kind of see where we were at and uh, we've learnt lots and it was another good week on the training pitch and I'm just really happy that um, that we've kept a clean sheet and um, got a goal up the other end too in, in the process but the defensive um, the defensive display was, was really um, really good. You mentioned, you mentioned the sole defensive play, you had two relatively young and experienced fullback feet, Tamar Levin was outstanding on the right hand side and son, Tegan Thompson making yep. a debut yep. on the left, they were really good for you, weren't they? As well as the two in the middle who were yeah. more experienced. Well that, that makes it even better, like we, we came out of Sydney and two of our players have been really, really crooked this week, Sean Fryer and Jamila Rankin, so two big outs for us and we really only, by about Wednesday this week, they hadn't got better. Um, and so we had to make changes, and so that was a really late change for us. But Jesse Rashard is a centre back; she's been playing fullback. Tegan Thompson makes her debut, and we knew that Sophie Harding was going to be one of their weapons. Um, and they did incredibly well. And Tamar just keeps getting better and better as a fullback against Princess Beanie last week, and today um, she's just a 17-year-old kid. Nothing seems to face her. In the midfield, you got Katrina Gorek, obviously only yeah. 45 minutes, which was probably yeah. planned, but it freed up players like Ishinori and Holly Palmer to play yeah. their natural games as well, and that gave you real impetus in the middle, didn't it? Yeah, it did, it did. Um, we, we have obviously our creative players have, um, we haven't had, in terms of our midfield, we've got really good passers, really good defenders. Mini is a, she's an attacking-minded player, and she added um, a lot to the lineup today. She'll play more minutes next week. Um, which is yeah, which is a, a big positive for us. The midfield were, um, were, were were on today. They did a great job. 
finally for me, I'm. Um, Marielle and yep. Margot went off with injuries. Yeah. Is that a concern for you going forward, or are they going to be available next um, week? Marielle's the concerning one for me. Any time a player um, kind of falls over and, and starts to hold their knee is a bit of a concern. So um, I haven't seen the doc just at the moment, but we'll go and check in. Margot has had a bit of a toe issue, um, and we actually brought her on. It's never nice to put someone on to bring her back off again, but... She popped a kick on it and it just didn't settle. Uh, she was in pain. So she made a brave call for the team and said, there, if you've got a, oh, I can't do a couple of defensive efforts. I don't want to cost the team anything. So get me back out of here. So she'll be okay. Um, Marielle, I cross my fingers. She's, you know, she's a part of the furniture here in the women's program and she's going to be a big loss for us. So specifically on Asia, 50th game today. She's been through a lot with her. Started off, he had to go away and then come back again. Now she's the captain. Just a word yeah. on what she's been through and how important she is to this team? Uh, we, we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. Ish is someone who has been a part of the women's program here um, for a long time. And obviously, she started. She was in the NTC program, then in with the, the, the senior women's team at a young age, went away to find game time. And it was back when we had um, you know seven, eight, nine Matildas in that team, so it was hard for her to get in. Uh, but she, she lived through... Um, times with the women's football in the country where there wasn't much and that she has that she's got that appreciation and she's very humble and because she's been through that and we're now obviously in a wonderful facility and incredibly well staffed but I like the fact that she leads by example she takes nothing for granted and the younger players that didn't don't know the history of the the previous kind of eight or nine years um, they learn from her. Um, so she is, she's our leader. She's our captain together with Minnie. Uh, and it was nice to see her get a win on her 50th game. And that was Gareth McPherson after the game. And it was a huge three points, wasn't it, Scott? It was a very huge point. I was quite happy with that. Obviously, I think it was also the clean sheet in particular. The fact that they they'd played two games away from home where they probably hadn't played so well, particularly defensively. I think a clean, coaches always love a clean sheet, right? And I imagine that's probably the thing he enjoyed the most out of that. Yep, without a doubt. All right. Um, it wasn't all sunshine and uh, roses out on the peninsula. However, there was very, very unfortunate news that uh, Mariel Hecker has injured her ACL and uh, she'll be gone not only for the rest of the A-League season, but also for the NPL season. And uh, yeah, I think the three of us can only uh, really wish her well in her recovery and hopefully... We will see her back on the pitch once she has recovered. Yeah, it, it's uh, yeah, it was devastating. And, you know, we've seen it live. It was another one of these innocuous ones where you, you wouldn't have thought that, you know, this has resulted in a season-ending uh, injury. Like I said, Margaret Rabin was also injured. And uh, there's actually a bit of a trivia star, just I'll digress quickly, that, um, that Holly McQueen actually made a bit of history um, as coming on late in the game. As she was a replacement for a replacement, and then another replacement, I think. I think it might have been a triple. Yeah, Yeah, triple. Yeah. So, so yeah. So she's basically, uh, I think, as as our um, stats guru in the A League, Andy Howe puts it, replacement for the replacement for the replacement. So, but uh, which is which is not like I said, it's not on. So I digress and say it's a. No, as, as trivia, but yeah, no, it's not a good thing. I would have thought Margot Rabin, actually, the way she came off, I thought may have been much worse. But uh, yeah, very, very sad news, pro for the one of the more popular um, players, not only for Brisbane Raw, but I think she's starting to get a bit of a following around the A-League 
women's now. So um, we wish uh, Mary all the best. I do the statue on here. You stay off the west side. <laughs> but just to, just to narrow it down, it was um. So Gory came off at halftime was replaced by Margot Rabine, and Margot Rabine had to go off with an injury. She got replaced by Marielle Hecker, who then also had to go off with an injury and got replaced by Holly McQueen. So it very much is a first that I've ever seen. But yeah, um, well, to your point, we wish Marielle all the best in her recovery. We hope to see her back on the field in the not too distant future because she's a key player for both. Lions and Brisbane Raw. Yep, and the one thing I will say on ACL injuries as well is there's a lot of the a lot of times where you think it is just completely innocuous. I remember when uh, Hingett did his ACL against Sydney a few years ago, like he was like he had a bit of a limp coming off, but I don't think it was anything that we looked at and thought ah he's fine, like oh he's going to be out for a while. I think we thought maybe a few weeks, bit of a hyperextension perhaps or bone bruising, but you look at the number of times a player is able to sort of walk off because. When you do your ACL, you don't really lose, like, strength in your knee. It's more about stability. So it is one of those things that I think you do find a lot of the time, especially with a footballer or something, where you go, oh, wow, okay, they they walked off and they've done an ACL. Anyway. As opposed to that haunting sight, you know, of Holly McQueen's ACL in that Kappa Super Cup final, that's one of the more distressing things I've actually seen yeah. on, a, on a football field. Yes. All right, we do um, have to quickly get to a little bit of news before we... Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Thank you, Adam. Uh, forgot about the three, two, ones. I'm a little bit rusty at this hosting thing. So, uh, Adam, since you put your hand up... You're on the transfer list. <laughs> uh, I'll, make, I'll make this quickly. need to move on. Uh, three points to Ishinori for the reasons uh, uh, why we, we've mentioned. She had a cracking game in a milestone game. Two points to Larissa Crummer. Uh, very, very, very good again. Um, probably deserved more than than uh, what she got but she was a, a constant threat and Holly Palmer one point I thought that's the best she's played uh, all season maybe perhaps for the last couple of seasons fair enough and no arguments with that alright now we do have to move on because there have been a couple of departures we should touch on quickly Jesse Daly uh, was announced to going over to Canada I think we sort of gathered that was uh, in, the, in the mix based on uh, some of his social activities and wish him well over in the very very chilly north uh, by the looks of it right Cal- now? Uh, Calgary. Calgary. Oh, yeah. good luck with that. Ooh, yeah. Um, yeah uh, Enjoy the snow, Jesse. You'll be seeing plenty of it. <laughs> yeah. I-, I would not be surprised if on his way to the airport he stopped at uh, DFO and picked up a very, 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 very thick jacket because I don't think Seattle gets as cold as Calgary. No. Or Tacoma, sorry. Tacoma. But, all right. Uh, yes. So that does leave a hole in midfield and there is also... A big hole up front with uh, strike. We did mention Charlie Austin, um, citing family reasons, is moving back to the UK. And, well, look, I think we can all say it is really disappointing that it didn't work out the way a lot of us would have been hoping it did. Um, but we can honestly say, like, when he did the interview with uh, Hinksy uh, on the Raw Social channel, I think he does deserve plenty of credit for fronting up like that, not just doing the written statement saying thanks for the time here. Um he just, I, I, from what I've seen, like it, he did look like he wasn't necessarily happy with how he, everything was going, and you sort of looked at it and went, it did feel like something that was coming sooner rather than later. And you know, if this was the genuine reason, I have no reason to believe otherwise. You hope that uh, it is something that he is able to uh, look back on fondly, albeit a brief stint here in Brisbane. 
for, for mine is actually, um, yeah, look, disappointment's the word. I, I got, you know, Charlie Austin, you know, sort of leaving after six months into a two-year contract and would have hoped that maybe that, you know, the Raw would have got something out of it. But, uh, look, for mine, what turned it around was actually the interview that Inksy did with um, with uh, Charlie Austin. Now, obviously, it shows his mark as a person um, more than just a professional footballer because, obviously, uh, you, you could tell, as you said, you could tell that he was sort of, you know, he, he didn't want the same, but obviously the Bianca and the kids are probably a more important. He's, he's, and that's a line that's constantly been at family before football. So, you know, at the end of the day, um, look, for, your football career only lasts for so long, but your family is forever. And uh, look, at the end of the day, if, that, if that's how it is, you know, I wish him all, all the best. I wish them, them all the best, uh, you know, for whatever lies in the future. Yeah, uh, family before football, unless you're a certain quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm not talking about that quarterback from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but I think he's just about done. But Charlie Austin's been very, very honest and upfront. Has he? When he first got here, he did say that it was always me family above football. And this was, if this was going to be the case where things didn't have, didn't settle right with the family for whatever reason, then he might look to have to go back to the UK. And that's unfortunately how it's transpired. Just wish him absolutely all the best. We completely understand the reasoning for it. It's completely justified to Adam's point. Family is always more important than football. He gave some good performances for the Raw here, but it was here particularly in the Australia Cup. Unfortunately, it was a short stint, not a long stint, James, but we wish him all the best going forward, and I'm interested to see how, how the Raw go about replacing him from here on. Well, look, I think... I'm, tr- I'm trying to find the right way to phrase this, but I feel like the last few weeks, you really could tell... Like, the few weeks before the World Cup break, you really could tell he was trying to find a way to make it work, but he definitely wasn't in the right headspace. And then, like, coming back, uh, the big red flag for me was when he went straight back to the UK after, like, once the team had a week off. And you could see him going straight back there. And then, yeah, you could tell there was something weighing on his mind against Adelaide. He looked disinterested, and now we know why. Now, that being said, you know, if he winds up going on TalkSport or something and absolutely trashing the A-League, then I will happily revoke a lot of those statements. But for the time being, like, I think he's been honest potentially to a fault in some of his interviews as well. But, um, yeah, you, you just feel like at the moment you've got to say, well, thanks for trying, good luck, and all the best. We've seen his honesty as well. I remember the all-access piece. He was very, very candid and honest in that piece. Well, not just with the stuff on the field, but also in the, the first part, of the, which was off the field, James. So yes. I definitely think the honesty that he's shown makes you think this is, very, this is a legitimate reason. It's not about... oh the A-League's not good enough for me and I want to get back to to Europe. It very much clearly is what he said it is. And we just wish him all the best because I don't think he's going to be going on talk sport or anywhere else and trash the I don't think that's what's going to be happening here. No, and I also think... I think if he was going back to... Well, I think, what, he's been linked with Swindon in League 2? Mm. I think if he was... You know, I think if you're going back to play in League 2, you're definitely going back for the family. Because I know, again, everyone wants to trash the standard of the A-League. It is definitely a way above League 2. And if, you're wanting, if you are just wanting to take whatever offer you can get to go back home, again, that, that to me is why you can take it. A, a, a certain up. World Cup winning goalkeeper started in League 2. Don't knock League 2. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm just saying. Oh, I shouldn't say started, but he spent some time down there. Yes. Uh, when he was behind Manuel Almunia. Go figure. <laughs> So those are a couple of departures. The transfer window is 
couple of weeks away from uh, opening, we might have to discuss some possible areas for the Raw to address. Uh, but you know what? We can save that for next week. Um, it's a Friday doubleheader, and I've got to say kudos to whoever uh, put both Raw games on Friday evening as well. Uh, the women away to, I want to say Newcastle, 5pm. And uh, that is Brisbane time. Uh, so you can get out to Morton, not Morton Daly Stadium, what is it called now? It's still Morton Daly Stadium until January. Okay. Although Channel 10 are used Say to, goodbye yeah. to Morton Daly Stadium on Friday night, because it's a um, ridiculous name after that. Yeah, okay. We can call, Okay, get out to Redcliffe on uh, Friday night a little bit early. You can stream the women's game against Newcastle on... Uh, pretty sure it's on 10 play as well. Um, and then at 6.45, the in-ground uh, entertainment kicks off with the Raw taking on the second place, Western Sydney Wanderers. And, yeah, well, I think... That is going to be a very, very tough game. You've got two very strong teams defensively, and uh, I think we're probably heading for maybe a 1-1 draw in this one, Adam. Yeah, it's uh, spawn alert. Is the football expert back? I am. You just draw my... Jo- I was about to say, Adam, I've really enjoyed the in-ground experience of the last home game. I hope that awful football expert's I'm not sorry, back. I'm sorry, mate. I just have to, I have to get in there and say it. Welcome back, yeah, James. Welcome we back. really did miss you, honestly. Uh, yeah, yeah, th- yeah anyway, that sounds. Anyway, um, that almost sounds as genuine as what my wife said when I got back on Monday. <laughs> anyway, uh, trying, trying to admit. Well, it wasn't as tag. You're it. <laughs> no, that waited about an hour uh, until the uh, Tommy needed an nappy change. But anyway, uh, back back to the game Friday night. Yeah, uh, the Marco Rudan uh, led. Wanderers, and we've got to remember to call him Marco in the presser. Um, look, they've been in decent form, like so. They did, they did go down to uh, Western's Western United on the weekend, but they've been in, in decent form. And look, this, this is going to be a tough game, as always. Well, Wanderers Raw games are always tough. They sort of play a similar style, so it's going to be a case of you know, if Raw can capitalise on some opportunities, I think that they may they can they can sort of run away with the points. But I think. Um, I think sort of yeah, my thinking is that this might be um, a draw. Yeah, I think. I think the World Cup break hit at the wrong time actually for the Wanderers, James. They were on such a had such momentum on such a high going into that that it just completely fell flat for them, and they've struggled to come out of that to the same level they were before the break. So I think they need to get back on the horse, and for Brisbane, they just need to keep picking up points. Yep. All right. Um, well, we had a lot to talk about, and that is going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane. Actually, no, wait. Quick, quick predictions for the women's game. Scott? Oh, Brisbane Brisbane have to win this game. They're a better team than Newcastle. They've proven it consistently. If they're going to make the top four, they've got to win. Adam? Raw by a few. I think Raw I think Raw 4-2. They'll find their attacking spark in this one. Yeah. Okay. Now, that is going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, James. Welcome back, football expert. Thank you. And thank you, Adam. Yep. Thank you and good night. And also, we will want to say um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in over what has been a fairly trying uh, couple of weeks for football fans pretty much everywhere but uh, we hope we've been able to entertain and inform a little bit we hope you have a very Merry Christmas on behalf of all of us here at the Brisbane Football Review and we'll be back next week to review it all we'll talk to you then